0: Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University.
1: That makes me a little worried and could explain some of the poor performances on ROI and stuff like that, that people are seeing. It doesn't necessarily mean, therefore, that the thing that's gonna give you the most revenue is the thing that is causing the customer the biggest problem.
2: The fact that you just use the phrase horses for courses which I've never heard before. And I assume that's a Britishism. It did make me want to have crumpets when I heard you say that. You're just, you're educating me all kinds of different ways today, Colin.
1: Hi, this is your host, Colin Shaw. One of our listeners come up with a really good idea. They said that they tend to listen to the podcast whilst traveling and when they're at the gym and they find it difficult to make notes and they want to make notes because they want to have a record of it and share it with others to implement some of the ideas. So we decided that after each podcast, we are going to upload a short written summary of the podcast. Now this will include the key takeaways and our recommended action. You can download this at beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That again is beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. Now on with the show. So Ryan, you know that we talk about us doing research with our clients and one of the main services that we provide. Uh-huh. But we've done some research with our clients. I wanted to share some of that research with people because we've had we've had a number of podcast listeners call into us or email into us and just say, where's this all going, what's happening? And we, each year we do research to try to discover what's happening in the market. So therefore, just from a company position, where should we be positioning ourselves? So I thought it'd be useful to go through some of the key stats that came out of that, which I think will be interesting to the audience. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this
2: is uh, current and past clients, prospective clients, like who was
1: who, who your sample? to be honest with you mate it's everyone right so yes it's clients yes it's past clients or people that haven't bought from us but also it's the market so we advertise this we put a lot on social media etc cetera, etc cetera, and literally cast the net wide with everybody it's interesting and we do it each year and it's interesting to see how things change i'm excited to hear it So the first thing is, the first interesting thing for us is, and, and I think I've mentioned this in the, in the previous podcast, but customer experience has now been going for 18-odd years. I literally wrote one of the first books on the subject back in 2002 called Building Great Customer Experiences. It's actually lasted a lot longer than, than I had expected. But when you think about it, Why do organizations want to do this? Now, we know that organizations want to improve their customer experience because of the lack of differentiation, but at the heart of it is about growth. And one of the key pieces of insight that came out of the research was the thing that people want most of all in 2020 is growth. Now, that's growth in revenue, that's growth in market share, that's a return. And that's the bit about the sort of this return on investment. And what we know, and we've done podcasts on this before, is that this is one of the areas that organizations are struggling with. So if you look at Nunwood, if you look at Forrester, so last year, Nunwood and Forrester basically said that the marketplaces were flat, that they'd seen no improvement in customers' experiences, if you then look at what Forrester said this year, which is one in four people in the customer experience industry will lose their jobs. And why is that the case? Well, and we've talked about this before, because they're not getting ROI. And therefore, what this report makes us realise, what this research makes us realise, is that this is about growth. This is about proving that the changes that you're making will result in ROI. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Can I ask you a real dumb, like blinkered professor question as somebody who's not sat in on these meetings where things like, well, this year we're going to focus on growth are decided. What are the alternatives from the outside? And I'm talking really from the outside as as a professor who studies business. Yeah. It seems like firms should always be focused on growth, but it sounds like they're not or at least not it's not always the most important thing so like what would be an alternative to focusing on growth what have people been worried about in the past if
1: not growth yeah no no good question ultimately that people are focused on growth to answer your question specifically let me give you an example great i've had lots of people say to me this year and this is not this year but in previous years this year is going to be the year of the customer
2: uh, okay. What were you doing last year?
1: Well, <laughs> right. it's only going to last a year. <laughs>
2: so,
1: and next year is going to be something different.
2: Next year, it'll be the year of the monkey. Pay attention. Oh,
1: yeah. so, <laughs> absolutely. Now, clearly, they would be focusing on the customer because they want to gain growth. The way it's articulated, okay, is we're going to focus on customer. So again, if you turn around and say for the last 18 years, why do organizations have been focusing on customer experience? It's not because they, for any other reason, that they think that if they do that, they will get more revenue, which effectively is growth. However, by turning around, in my view, and saying we need to focus on growth really puts the focus on it. And effectively, by turning around and saying, this year is the year of the customer, is you're putting focus on it. makes a lot of sense. Or this year is the year of digital transformation. Or this year is the year that we change into being more customer-centric or something like that. You're effectively putting a focus on it, and that's the key thing from a business perspective. Does that make sense?
2: So it'll be kind of a, a change in what gets measured, a change in kind of how goals are defined.
1: Yeah, the classic stuff of, What happens in business is somebody will turn around and say, right, we're going to be focused on growth or we're going to be focused on the customer. So how does the initiative that I'm working on now link into that? How does the measurement that we've got now link into that? So I've just asked the organization for a million dollars because I want to invest it in some improvement well the organization's now thinking about growth so i've got to make sure that my initiative ties through to growth and if it doesn't tie through to growth then people will start saying well why are we doing it makes sense so it's a good question because it's really about the focus so a couple of these things then tie together next stat is nearly 75 percent of companies have now got a customer experience team, particularly in the large and the medium-sized companies. So that's a big change because again, if I think about it at the beginning, again, I go back 18 years to when I started in this industry, nobody had really even heard of customer experience, let alone done anything about it. But now to have organizations that have got customer experience teams, then that's a big change. The challenge again becomes, what are they producing? And that goes back to the whole ROI issue, which is we've invested in these teams. What are they producing? Yeah, Are they producing enough and are we getting enough from them? Interesting stat again was that 46% of companies struggle to know what to prioritize first. I thought that was really interesting because you think it would be obvious, but it's not. And they're not sure what to do first. Does that make sense? Yeah. You said that people don't
2: prioritize the things that link to value. I I assume that nobody would disagree with that, that nobody would disagree with making what drives value important. My assumption is that they don't, know how to prioritize because they don't know what drives value within their organization, that they haven't done that research, that they haven't done that introspection, haven't done that observation, whatever it is required to figure out what drives growth. I assume that that's the uncertainty.
1: Yeah, a couple of things there that are interesting. One is even getting an organization to articulate what they mean by value is an interesting question. When we do this emotional signature research, one of the first things that we do with an organization is to turn around to them and say, okay, well, clearly what you want to prioritize is the things that are going to drive most value and therefore what does value mean for you, okay? Now, it would be really interesting for the listener to articulate what they think it is and then test it with people in their organization because most organizations, in my view, don't have a clear picture of what value is okay now value for us typically is because we help them sort of think it through is things like spend how much people are going to spend market share perception of the brand improvements in net promoter or customer satisfaction score those things so for me the way we always describe it is what does the organization get part of the reason as you i think you've just said is that they're not prioritizing things because they haven't got a clear picture of what value means now going back to what we've said before as part of this research and what i said before about focus now you would go well if if your organization and your ceo is going we need to get growth then if growth means improvement in revenues then actually the thing that you should be prioritizing is the thing that's going to give you the most revenue but here's the interesting insight It doesn't necessarily mean, therefore, that the thing that's going to give you the most revenue is the thing that is causing the customer the biggest problem. Oftentimes, what we find is organizations are obsessed with fixing things that are wrong in their experience, rather than looking at the opportunity areas where they could gain three or four times the value than they would gain by fixing the thing that's wrong. Does that make sense? It's really interesting. Can you give an
2: example? I mean, the, the reason I ask is it it sounds like you should have to fix the things that are wrong first, and then you'll have the opportunity to grow. And it sounds like you're you're arguing in favor of sidestepping that, of of kind of jumping to just bigger bang for the buck rather than fixing what is wrong. Or, or am I misinterpreting,
1: misunderstanding <laughs> my lack of explanation? So what what I'm saying is, you should be focusing on the things that gives you the biggest bang for your buck. So by definition, you should know how much you would be able to gain by fixing the thing that is wrong. You should also know that how much you can gain by providing the new service, the new experience that would drive value. And you should focus on the thing that drives most value most organizations get obsessed by the negatives rather than the positives. Does that make sense? I mean, this almost sounds like a
2: similar problem to what we just discussed in terms of just not knowing what's driving value. In order to make the decision in the way that you've articulated it, you need to actually know what value is associated with each of the potential actions you could take.
1: Absolutely. What you've just described is the research we do, that emotional signature research, which basically goes... Here's a list of 40 things. Some of these will drive negative value. In other words, will be detracting from value. Some of these things will be providing positive value. It's a very simple thing, really, when you come down to it. I've got a dollar to spend. Do I spend it on the things that are going wrong? And it may be that you do. Or do I spend it on the opportunity area? If that's what's driving most value. Yeah for me it's business sense but you can tell by by the fact that we've been discussing this for a little while maybe this is why the 46 percent of people are struggling to know what to prioritize first but for me it's simple if you're in a business to make money you focus on the thing that will deliver you the most value that can be money that can be improvements in customer satisfaction from which you will gain growth etc etc good good a fourth stat, which I, I found interesting, one in four customer experience teams are part of marketing. It seems a natural home for a customer experience team, I have to say. Ideally, I would actually think that being an independent organization is actually the best thing because it then you're not part of one tribe or another tribe. However, if you'd have to put them into one area, then marketing – seems a good option in my view, because you're defining what the marketing wants. It's a cross-functional thing. So it covers marketing, sales, customer service, or should do, so on and so forth. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I know one of the bits of advice you've given previously on the podcast is, if you are in a customer experience role and are given a lot of responsibility, but not a lot of power, so kind of no budget to implement your changes, no support from other organizations to make changes, that that's a terrible situation and you should run. I wonder if having customer experience within a kind of a larger core discipline in the organization will on average make that customer experience group more likely to be listened to because now they can speak with marketing behind them instead of as, as an independent organization or if it makes it worse if their message gets subsumed within the larger marketing
0: message let beyond philosophy help you discover what your customers really want not what they say they want by uncovering the hidden drivers of value in your customer experience to create real roi Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact.
1: To be honest with you, some of this is just dependent upon one kind of the culture of the organization, who the person is that's running. Yeah, Uh, sometimes it's a marketing driven organization. Sometimes the marketing person is quite, weak and ineffective so i think it's horses for courses really but what we do know is if the organization is truly going to put a focus on the customer experience and therefore gaining growth through doing that They've got to put it somewhere that is going to be respected. Ideally, it would be independent because you then don't, as I say, have the, have the challenges of people saying that that group is favoring the marketing teams, et cetera, and the usual politics that are behind it.
2: Before we move on, can we pause about the fact that you just used the phrase horses for courses, which I've never heard before? I assume that's a Britishism. It did make me want to have crumpets when I heard you say that. You're just, you're educating me all kinds of different ways today, Colin. Just wanted to acknowledge that.
1: It never ceases to amaze me. I've lived in the States for a long time and I still say things that people don't understand. That was one I'd never heard. Horses for courses. It means that different courses that you have, you'd have different horses running it. The other one that I found the other day that somebody said they didn't understand was, "It's the difference between chalk and cheese." That one I've heard you use
2: before. It's a nice Britishism. I like. I like that one.
1: Yes. In other words, for those people that did, haven't heard me say it before, it's the opposite ends or extremely different, basically, between those two things. Anyway, back to my list. So one in four companies think that disruption in the industry by using the internet and AI is the least important thing they should be worrying about. So 25% of companies think that they shouldn't be worried about AI and the internet and disruption in their industry.
2: That's really interesting.
1: I have to say, I think they're mad.
2: (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, there may be industries where it's more important or less important to think that it's the least important thing
1: yeah and if you could tell me which those industries are because i'm going to go and set up a business there using ai and the internet because they're clearly ripe for um, development there are a series of
2: chalk and cheese vendors in england
1: and it's horses for courses isn't it really (laughs) (laughs) very good i'll make you british one day Okay, 66% of companies say that setting a CX strategy is not the most important thing to do. 66% of people think that it's not important to set a CX strategy. I think this must be the same (laughs) mad people that voted for the the other one (laughs) because that makes me a little worried and could explain some of the poor performances on ROI and stuff like that that people are seeing because they haven't got a strategy. For me, setting a strategy is absolutely vital. And one of the first things you should be doing, you should be doing research. And then based on the research, you should be setting the strategy. I was surprised how many people thought that it wasn't important. Interesting. Okay. 25% of people do not think it's important to review data for hidden patterns and insights. Now, I'm using this sort of loss aversion technique because I could say 75% of people do think it's important. This is from our recent podcast, isn't it, Ryan, where we talked about framing.
2: Colin, you paid attention. I'm getting a warm glow right now. (laughs) That was an excellent (laughs) example of loss framing.
1: Well, there you go. It is. It is a very good example. And people can use those types of examples when they're they're talking about things. But yeah, so 25% of people think that you shouldn't necessarily review data to find hidden patterns and insights, which again, made me think you're mad. That's shockingly high. My best guess as to why,
2: I assume that a lot of those people are people who have tried to look through data for patterns before or tried to look through data for insights before and found it to be a waste of time. That's my guess. And it doesn't justify the decision i still think it's a bad idea to not look for insights but it is a little bit more understandable cuz it's hard a lot of people have been burned by it before and there's a kind of a right and a wrong way to do it but yeah that's
1: shockingly high i think the other part what you've just articulated is coming it from a we've tried it before and it was really hard and it doesn't work yeah okay i think the other end of the scale is people are going I don't really even understand the question. What, what do you mean identifying hidden patterns for insights? Yeah. And again, I would hope that people that are listening to this podcast recognize that there should be lots and lots, or not there should be, there are lots and lots of hidden patterns that would provide insights to motivation in data. And you should be doing that. Okay. However, if you don't even understand that at the beginning, then. You're questioning why you're even asking the question. So there you go. Such is life.
2: Now that makes sense. I mean, you know, you and I have have been pretty upfront about acknowledging some of the weaknesses in big data. The insights that you gain out of data are limited by the type of data that are collected. You know, we've talked about that before. But we're we're also big proponents of insights wherever you can get them. So if you are uncomfortable with data analytics with processing analytics that's been done by somebody else in your organization it's now's the time to learn those skills because data is just getting cheaper to accumulate cheaper to analyze these things are not going away so yeah if if you're part of that group that shies away from this for whatever reason advice is get on board because it's not going away
1: lost that 74% of people are interested to learn more about behavioral economics and customer experience, and therefore this whole area, in fact, and one more stat, 75% of people are interested in learning about customer behavior. We asked it in different ways to see if there would be a a difference, but there's there's not. Good news is this could be why we're getting so many people calling in or dialing up for the the podcast and why our podcast grew by 100% last year in downloads. People are finding it interesting to learn more about it.
2: We both need raises, Colin. This is crazy. We're doing great.
1: Absolutely,
2: yeah. A couple of years ago, Richard Thaler won a Nobel Prize for economics for his work in behavioral economics. He was teaching at the University of Chicago when I was getting my PhD at Kellogg School at Northwestern. And so I was able to, to drive down once a week, one semester, and take one of his seminars. It was great. It was a lot of fun. He used this quote from an economist in 1916. J.M. Clark was his name. I'll paraphrase it, but it was essentially, it was advice to economists where he, the economist was saying, look, you can't just ignore psychology. It doesn't go away because you don't understand it. If you ignore the insights of psychology, you'll essentially be forced to make up your own psychology and it'll be bad psychology. That applies to this broader field of behavioral economics now. It can be complicated. It can, it can have a lot of rules. It can have a lot of exceptions, But if you ignore kind of the importance of information framing and context effects and choice architecture and and hidden motivations and emotions, none of these things go away because you ignore them. Just making up your, your own model of human behavior and it'll be a bad model because you're not taking advantage of everything that is out there.
1: No, absolutely. And for those people that want to learn a bit more, one of the things that was suggested to us by one of our listeners was that we provide a written summary of the podcast. So that's what we're doing. So now for all the podcasts that we do, we're going to start to write down the a short summary of the podcast. We're going to put the key takeaways and the recommended action. And all of that's going to be available on our website, which is Beyond Philosophy dot com backslash podcast summary that's beyond philosophy dot com backslash podcast summary if you go there you'll be able to download that and then share it with people in your organization and hopefully that will help get the seventy four percent of people that are interested to learn about behavioral economics and customer experience and growth and all that lot to learn a bit more normally finish off with recommended actions any anything that pops to mind from you from out of this this list maybe just one or two things the headline uh, ideas are, are that
2: even colin is drinking his own medicine right? you want insights you go do research go in and find out what's going on use those within your organization go out and ask those questions the other thing this is kind of a left field takeaway but colin mentioned these podcast write-ups I just want to emphasize that that was an idea that that came from a listener in order to make these things more useful and and Colin and I have jumped on that as a solution as much as as Colin and I just enjoy chatting and we do. We also really, really want these to be podcasts to be useful for people. So by all means, write in, give us topics that you want discussed. there are additional tools or things that we can do differently to, to make these podcast more useful to you, we we certainly would, would love to know about that.
1: Great. And my bits of advice for recommending action would be recognize that most things are about growth and it's about putting a focus on things. If you're in a CX team, you've got to challenge yourself and say to yourself, what's the ROI that we're bringing back? Because it's all about growth and gaining value. The other part of this is that when you're looking to prioritize things, you should be prioritizing the things that drive most revenue for you or most growth for you or most value for you. All of those things for me are the same thing. And far too often organizations don't. And my final bit of advice for anybody that thinks that the internet and the AI is not going to disrupt their industry, maybe needs to get a job somewhere else (laughs) so anyway thanks very much for everyone listening and we look forward to talking to you next week thanks a lot cheers don't forget to download a short written summary of the show by going to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary that's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary